chances are if you tried a ton of sleep solutions and they didn't work for you, it's because they weren't the right sleep solutions for your problem. Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Radically Loved Podcast. Today, I am joined by a very special guest. I've been looking so forward to talking to this next person, author of my new favorite book, The Sleep Fix. Diane Macedo is an Emmy Award-winning journalist who currently is an anchor and correspondent for ABC News and ABC News Live. And she is here today to talk to us about why sleeping is the absolute best practice for self-care. I'm so excited to share this conversation. Here is my conversation with Diane Macedo. Let's get into it, Diane. I mean, just let's just do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. Actually, at this point, people have already heard me talk about it. And I've posted it a couple of times, your book, The Sleep Fix, which it really is the sleep fix. So thank you so much for doing all the hard work for us and writing this book. (laughs) I only did it because I've been there and I know how horrible it is when you're in that position and you read and read and read and look for answers and everything you try fails because that's what happened to me. Yes. Well, please tell us about this from one insomniac to another. Um, <laughs> you know, mine mine was from the PTSD of growing up, how I told you I sure. grew up in a really chaotic environment. But I think the question is really people that have suffered with insomnia and have that imprint in their mind of I can't sleep, I have a hard time sleeping, or I just can't sleep. What did you learn? What does that do to people that are, I don't want to say perfectionists, but people that like to perform, you know? Well, you're on the right track because a lot of people who suffer from insomnia are that kind of type A perfectionist personality, myself included. And so everything that you're, you know, that track you're going down here, it seems like you're kind of hesitant to even lead yourself down it, but you're actually right that a lot of times that is at least part of the foundation of what's causing our sleep issues. If you're someone who suffers from insomnia, meaning that kind of racing mind and anxiety feeling when you get in bed to go to sleep. And I think it's interesting that you talk about your own background a lot and the trauma that you suffered and your PTSD and how you think that factored into your sleep problems, because it doesn't surprise me to hear that, but it also doesn't require that in order to have right. sleep problems and, and severe ones at that. And this is kind of a dark tale to, to get us into something that I think will make a lot of sense. But I did another interview and the that particular podcaster shared with me that he had suffered child abuse and he traces his lifelong insomnia to, to that. 
And it makes perfect sense because particularly in his case, bed became a place of, of threat. And so naturally now when that person goes to bed, their fight or flight response starts to kick in. They start to feel anxious. They start to feel revved up. They're preparing for something that's about to be stressful. And so that is the basis of what causes uh, insomnia, at least as I call it, textbook insomnia. But you don't need to go through something like that in order to have that same kind of physiological experience. And many times for people who suffer from insomnia, it's wakefulness itself that becomes the threat. You become so worried about being awake, so worried about whether or not you're going to fall asleep, that the threat of wakefulness is actually what either keeps you awake or ends up waking you up and making it really difficult for you to fall back asleep. And I think what a lot of people don't know is we hear about sleep cycles sometimes and you hear all about REM cycle and deep cycle and whatnot. And you know, most <laughs> people have no idea what these terms mean as they spit out and start saying they need 80% of deep sleep a night. It doesn't happen. That's not how sleep works. But we do. We do go through sleep cycles where our sleep goes through stages. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper. We hit deep sleep. And then at the end of our sleep cycle, we hit REM sleep. And that's where we do the majority of our dreaming. Contrary to popular belief, REM is actually a very active stage of sleep. It's where you do a lot of your dreaming. Your heart rate will often elevate and your body's paralyzed specifically to keep you from acting out your dreams because that's how active your brain and other parts of your body are uh, during REM sleep. And then at the end of that sleep cycle, which ranges somewhere between, I think it's 70 and 100 minutes. It's not exactly 90 minutes like you sometimes hear. We all, and I don't mean we all insomniacs. I mean, everybody, we all wake up for a second we sort of scan the room, make sure everything looks the same, we're not in danger, and we go right back to sleep. Every human being does this. Now, as you can imagine, if you scan the room and you saw a bear, you would say, ah, a bear, and you would get really worried and you would suddenly feel wide awake and you would remember that in the morning. Most of us do this scan and because we don't see any danger, we go right back to sleep. We do it so quickly. We don't even know it happened. We don't remember it in the morning. Hence the feeling that you slept through the night. But if wakefulness becomes the threat, as soon as you're doing that scan, suddenly you think to yourself, oh no, I'm awake. And it's the same, oh no, I, it's a bear reaction. You, Your body has the same response. It starts to worry. It starts to fear. Your fight or flight response kicks in. Suddenly your heart rate is a little more elevated. All of your senses become a little more heightened. And now it's really hard to fall back asleep. And so that is just one small piece of an explanation of what happens to us during insomnia that for me was this big aha moment because that's exactly what I was doing. That's exactly what was happening to me. And it suddenly explained something that I felt for so long, but thought was caused by so many different things. And it also explained why all the things that I tried to fix it didn't work up until that point, because they all made me worry about my sleep even more. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about orthosomnia, right? And yes, I so related to that on a deep level. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about that? Absolutely. It's one of, I think, the most fascinating sort of new areas of this. And that is orthosomnia is kind of an unofficial term developed now by sleep clinicians that essentially translates to sleep perfectionism. And so this growing trend of putting sleep health out there as something to prioritize has been wonderful, right? Because for a long time, 
Nobody prioritized sleep at all. And we thought it was this useless thing that lazy people do. And now, by and large, we all know that sleep is really important. But there's kind of an overcorrection that's happening too, where a lot of people, especially those of us who have our fitness trackers on and we're taking a look at exactly how much sleep we're getting. And you're wanting your score and all that stuff. Yeah. And this isn't to not you know, tra- sleep trackers, because they, there can be a place for them. I don't have one. I don't use one, but you absolutely can. But there, there can be too much of a good thing. And so for a lot of people, this sudden movement to track their sleep and look at sleep as this set goal, I have to get this much sleep yeah. tonight, or I have to get, or I have to beat last night's sleep score. And it can even be as simple as just worrying too much about your sleep, just because of hearing how important sleep is and how you yes. have to get quote unquote, the recommended eight hours. All of these things can suddenly make sleep feel very goal oriented. And now we're trying so hard to improve or perfect our sleep that all of that effort actually revs us up, triggers an insomnia response and keeps us from sleeping. And so you have a lot of people who actually didn't have a sleep issue before. Maybe they slept seven and a half hours a night or seven hours a night or six and a half hours a night, but they slept fine. And now all of a sudden, because they're trying to get eight hours and they're trying to beat their sleep score from the night before, they're now thinking so much about their sleep that they start getting less and less and less sleep. And now they have insomnia and they have to go to the doctor to get that treated. And so you kind of create this problem. And, it's, and they've, they've started to nickname it orthosomnia, people who essentially were fine before, but tried so hard to improve and perfect their sleep when they didn't have a problem that they essentially gave themselves insomnia. Yeah. Oh, so true. I mean, it's so true. And I, I feel like I suffer from that only because it gives me anxiety when I don't have that high sleep score. You know, there's been, even right now, there's been a couple of days that I've not had great sleep and I can even feel it. I don't need a tracker to tell me I didn't get good sleep, right? Which you also give some great tips to find out if you're sleep deprived. And I want to ask you more about that as well. But it does add an extra element of you're not doing something. So if you're that type of personality, then having a sleep tracker might not be a great thing for you, right? I want you to tell us a little bit about how you got to this place. Like what was going on that created this uh, awakening in you? Good word for it. Awakening. Um, (laughs) Appropriate. The short version is I made all of the mistakes. The more elaborate version is I spent years struggling with my sleep and it started when my work hours shifted. I'm a biological night owl, which I now know is a thing. At the time I didn't, I thought me being an night owl was something that I chose. I like being up late. I like sleeping in, you know, and, and I think a lot of us put that on ourselves. We, we think those things are choices. We think morning people are disciplined and responsible and night owls are party animals. And, you know, maybe that too, but, uh, you know, it's like we choose to be up late, we choose to sleep in. And, and sometimes we start to think of ourselves as being lazy or we're painted that way because of actually something that's biologically happening outside of our control. And that is your circadian rhythm, which people have probably heard that term before. Essentially your biological clock gives you wake signals at certain times of the day and sleep signals at certain times of the day. And for some of us, those wake signals are pre-programmed to kick in at five or six or seven in the morning. And for others, it's their program to kick in at nine or 10 or 11. And same thing when you get to nighttime. Some of us start feeling those sleep signals at 
seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock, and other people don't start me feeling them until midnight or later. And that part is just happening inside of our bodies. It's not a choice. And so I am a biological night owl who suddenly found myself when I started working in my first official on-air job, going to work at three o'clock in the morning. And I started having all sorts of issues. I suddenly had acid reflux for the first time. Over time, I developed dry eyes, lots of other things along those lines. And I never connected it to my sleep. But now I understand that it was, all of those things were in fact connected to my sleep. And 3 a.m. then when I switched jobs and I went to CBS became 1.30 in the morning. And then when I came over to ABC, I was the overnight news anchor. And so I was going in at 11 p.m. and coming out at 5 a.m., which actually because I'm a night owl was kind of okay. But then I also started doing Good Morning America at the end of that, which meant now I was getting out of work at nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. And for me, game over trying to sleep at that time. And I was told over and over again that the only way I was going to be able to sleep again was if I quit my job. But I loved my job and I just wasn't willing to accept that. So I went from kind of ignoring the problem entirely and just saying, oh, that's how I am. That's just how I'm built. I just have to suck it up and deal with it. To it getting so bad that I finally decided to address it. I went to my doctor. She prescribed me sleeping pills. I was very hesitant, but I started taking them. They were magic for a while and then they stopped working. And then I went on a desperate search for answers and read a lot of stuff and heard a lot of stuff that essentially told me that I was doomed if I didn't figure out how to fix this problem, but didn't actually give me any solutions that helped me fix the problem. So that just made me worse because now I was even more worried about the fact that I wasn't sleeping, which kept me awake. And I read a lot of stuff that said, you know, for example, that I was going to have to quit my job and I just didn't, I wasn't willing to do that. And so, yeah, eventually I ruled out, I got screened for sleep apnea. I ruled that out. And then I just kind of turned into a sleep nerd. And instead of reading books off the bestseller list and articles and listicles and TV segments, I started reading textbooks about sleep and about insomnia and books, actual books, but written by clinicians who treat people with sleep problems. And that's where I found my answers. And within about three weeks of trying that stuff, I was getting a quote unquote full night's sleep in the middle of the day which everyone told me was impossible. And so when that happened, I just thought, well, why isn't anybody talking about this stuff? Mm -hmm. Because it was far more practical than I thought. It worked much faster than I thought. And most importantly, so much of it was so counterintuitive. It was so different and in some cases opposite to everything else that I had read and heard and seen and tried. And so I ended up writing the book that I wish had existed when I was struggling And my hope in putting this out into the universe is to save a lot of other people from having to go through what I went through. What has been the biggest response that you've had with all the, all the fixes that are in here? Like, what's the number one thing that people are like, wow, this was the aha moment, or it was like, oh, turning my screen to grayscale or doing the spoon test or, you know, whatever it is, you know, that you talk about in the book that people have responded was there. So I actually, I've heard from the beauty of of the book having been out for a little while now is uh, there's finally enough time that laps that people have had enough time to actually read it and implement it. Yeah. And because it's been about two months now. Mm -hmm. And so I now am hearing from a ton of readers saying, oh my God, this helped me so much. I even just heard from a woman who after three weeks told me I just spent my first three weeks and years without Ambien and I'm sleeping great. And she just wrote to me again I think yesterday, 
to say, I'm now six weeks without Ambien, still sleeping great. I can't thank you enough. And so that, that's why I wrote the book. But interestingly, I haven't heard anyone say this specific thing in the book is what helped me. And I definitely haven't heard that from a huge collection of people all focusing on one thing. And I think that highlights another point in the whole sleep conversation. A lot of us, I think, have been programmed, myself included, have been programmed to think that, you know, there are somewhere these top 10 tips. Yeah, yeah. That if we all just follow these top 10 tips, then we can fall asleep in five minutes or whatever the promise of said article is. And there is no top 10 tips because what is going to help you sleep versus what is going to help me sleep is dependent, A, on what it is that's keeping us awake, which may be two completely different issues that require completely different solutions, but also other things like your lifestyle and what solutions are going to fit best into your lifestyle and whatever else your needs are. And so there is no one size fits all. There is no top tips. And if you follow these, you'll sleep. And I think it's important for people to know that because especially those of us who are a bit type A and have been down this journey, you can feel like you're the one doing something wrong because you're like, well, I followed the top 10 tips and I'm still not sleeping well. And they said, if I did these correctly, that I would sleep well. So I must be the one doing something wrong. And so now not only are you sleep deprived, but you also feel a little bit ashamed and kind of lonely in the whole thing. And so I want people to realize that chances are, if you tried a ton of sleep solutions and they didn't work for you, it's because they weren't the right sleep solutions for your problem. And if anybody is trying to send you down a path of trying sleep solutions, and it's not starting with, figuring out what it is that's keeping you awake, then that's probably not the path you need to be on because you're already at the wrong starting point. Ori is a fine jewelry brand founded by women for women. Pieces range from classic to statement to completely original. Ori makes the jewelry you've always wanted but could never find. These are all the pieces that are currently adorning my friends. Because it's all real gold, you can wear it and never have to take it off. You can shower, sport, sleep, cook, anything. It's jewelry for life. And because Orate sells direct to you without the middleman markup, they can offer the same quality as traditional Fifth Avenue brands at a fraction of the cost. It's ethically sourced and sustainably made. Their gold is never mined and their gemstones and diamonds are also certified conflict-free. So everyone can shop with the sparkling conscience. Here's the best part. Orate gives back and supports various causes ranging from the environment to social causes empowering women, youth, and children. And you all know I'm big on supporting women brands, women author, everything women made. And besides the transparent pricing, Orate has now teamed up with Klarna to make their items even more accessible to you all. Basically using Klarna, you can shop now and pay over time. It's just a more flexible way to get what you want from Orate. For 20% off of your first Ori purchase, go to www.oratenewyork.com forward slash loved and use the promo code loved. That's 20% off with no minimum spend and they rarely have discounts as high as 20% off. So I really encourage you to shop now while it's going on. This is an exclusive offer for all of our Radically Loved listeners. So again, go to Orate New York, that's A-U-R-A-T-E, newyork.com forward slash loved and use the promo code loved to get 20% off. For some reason, every time I travel, my gut health seems to suffer. And now that I've been on the book tour, I've been traveling a lot. I was just in Miami. I was just in Portland. I'm on my way to San Francisco. And it has 
really wreaked havoc on my stomach. You've heard the experts I've had on the show. Gut health is so important. It relates to our energy, our immune system, and I'm not really into taking tons of different pills and vitamins. So what do I do? I use Athletic Greens. I put it in my smoothie. I take my travel packs everywhere I go just to continue to help optimize my immune system. With Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, aging, all of the things. Why wouldn't I incorporate this into my daily ritual? It's also a lot less expensive than getting all of the different supplements. So you're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance, which for me is super easy and well worth it. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash loved. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash loved to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance athleticgreens.com forward slash loved. Yeah, well, let's have the meditation conversation since we're here, because I feel like this is the same response that people that often get quit meditating because they feel like it's something they're not doing the air quotes right. Yes. Correct. Yes. And that ties in with sleep problems quite a lot because many of us. And again, I told you I made all the mistakes. So myself (laughs) included that feeling you often get, particularly if it's insomnia, that's, that's keeping you awake. We often describe it as I can't shut my brain off or I can't quiet my mind. And so for me, this was all happening at the same time that meditation was sort of becoming a much more common thing. It was starting to be talked about in articles and TV segments and whatnot. And the big headline was meditation quiets your mind. And so myself and so many others who I know have done this too, say, oh, well, that's exactly what I need. I go to bed at night and my mind is racing a mile a minute. I need something to shut my mind off. And meditation is going to do that. Wonderful. Great. So we keep our expectations super low and manageable. And we put on our meditation app and then we expect that we're going to be like Neo from the Matrix, blocking our thoughts, like slow motion bullets. (laughs) And you just think, all right, here we go. Here comes my journey to beautiful Zen-filled sleep. And then the meditation starts and the narrator tells you to focus on the breath and you do for about 10 seconds. And then suddenly you're thinking about, you know, what you're going to be for Halloween in five months and how you're going to get the costume together. And then you, and then you realize, no, 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 I'm supposed to be focusing on the breath. Okay. Knees, knees. He's saying, focus on the knees. Let me think about my knees. And you think about your knees for another five or 10 seconds. And then suddenly the next thing you know, you're still back to designing your Halloween costume for, you know, next year or whatever other pointless thought enters your mind. And this often can become this frustrating cycle where you're not focusing. And now you know you need to be able to focus because you need to do the meditation correctly in order to sleep, which you also need to do. And now you're frustrated at yourself because you're not doing it correctly. But that frustration just gets you more revved up, which makes it harder for you to relax, harder for you to focus, harder for you to do the meditation and spoiler alert, harder for you to sleep. 
And so you'll often hear people who try meditation saying, oh, well, I tried to meditate to help my sleep, but it didn't help me sleep. And my favorite aha moment with this was talking to a doctor out of California. His name is Jason Ong. He's a sleep psychologist who specializes in mindfulness. And he said, you know, and he both does research on this and he actually treats patients. And he says, you know, with my patients, I tell them, yeah, I want you to meditate, but I don't want you to do it at night. I don't want you to do it before bed. I want you to do it during the day. And he says, people have this impression that meditation is going to put you to sleep. And anything that you think is going to put you to sleep is probably actually going to keep you awake. And so the general gist of, of how to quote unquote use meditation correctly, if you want to use it to help your sleep, is actually to do it at a time when you're already feeling calm. And I like to think of it this way. If you have never played piano before, you're probably not going to have your debut, your very first time touching those keys to be in the middle of a stadium full of people while you are blindfolded, right? Because A, you're at a disadvantage because your eyes are closed and the stakes are super high because you know you have this audience of people waiting for you and you feel like you can't mess up. That sounds absurd. You would never do that. But we often, those of us who have never meditated before in our lives, will often start right before bed, when we feel the most anxious and when the stakes are super high because we feel like I have to do this and I have to do this correctly and I have to do it in 15 minutes because I have to fall asleep. And all of that sets us up for failure. So the much better way to approach this is to meditate at a time that you already feel calm because that's how you develop the skill that is meditation. And also your kind of mental autopilot feature kicks in where because you're already relaxed and you're doing this thing habitually, your brain starts to associate the meditation itself with relaxation. And so as soon as you start your meditation app or light your candle or whatever it is that's part of your ritual, your brain starts to recognize those cues as cues for relaxation. And once you get good at that part and you feel like you do have a good level of calm and you do have a good level of focus when you're doing this, now you can use that new skill that you've learned at nighttime at a time that you feel you need it, because now you have learned how to use meditation as an actual tool for relaxation. But you have to develop that skill first. It's not going to come with you putting your headphones on and clicking on a meditation app at the time of day that you are most anxious, and then just you know expecting to relax automatically. Yeah, it's creating that impression in your mind, like it's the you're just creating another level of stress by giving yeah. yourself a task to do. And something that really helped me on that, from that aspect specifically, was one of my former colleagues, Dan Harris, who um, used to be an anchor at ABC. He's authored books on, exactly, he's the author of 10% Happier and Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics and so on. I had this conversation with him and he said, you have to let go of this idea of clearing your mind. That doesn't happen unless you're enlightened or you have died. And I said, well, isn't that what meditation is all about? And he said, well, no. And so he kind of explained the nuances to me. But my favorite part about Dan was he was saying, you know, that part where you're getting distracted, you noticing that you're getting distracted, that's the point of the meditation. It's not to not get distracted. It's you realizing that you're getting distracted and then pulling your focus back. And every time you do that exercise, it's like doing a bicep curl for your brain. So don't get frustrated when you get distracted. Be happy that you recognize that you got distracted and pulled yourself back because that is where the exercise comes into play. And that really helped me 
to stop getting frustrated when I was meditating and, and to stop viewing it with the same kind of pressure type A-ness that I tend to view things in general. But the other tool that I, for me, I felt I had to do before I went down the, the path of meditation or breath work or anything else that I tried is a practice called constructive worry. And I like to call this the worry list or the brain dump, but you essentially just take a notebook and you divide the page down the center. And on the left-hand side, you write down anything that's on your mind, anything that's worrying you or maybe a to-do list item. And then on the right-hand side, you write down the very next step to solving that issue. And you may not have the ultimate solution, but just the next thing you could do to push it in the right direction. It might be as simple as calling someone who knows more about that issue than you do. And when you're done making your list, you can't think of anything else that's on your mind, the exercise is over. And mind you, when I read about this, I thought, well, Ambien doesn't put me to sleep anymore, but this notebook exercise is going to, but it worked wonders. And here's why it works. Often when we are going to bed at night, if you're the kind of go, go, go person that I am, you're not giving yourself the opportunity to process your thoughts and feelings from the day, which is a totally natural thing that we're all supposed to do. And so if you don't give your brain the opportunity to do that at any other point in the day, it really has no choice but to do it when your head hits the pillow. Because that's the first time you've probably not been staring at a phone or doing something that was occupying your thoughts. So by doing this exercise before bed, it alleviates the need for you to do this thought processing in bed. And if you do this exercise enough, your brain starts to form a new association. Instead of thinking about bed as the place where we stay awake and worry, which is what will happen if you spend too much time in bed awake and worrying, your brain starts to say, oh, I get it. This is where we stay awake and worry, not when my head hits the pillow. Also, we often get repetitive thoughts when we lay in bed at night and we're struggling with kind of that racing yes. mind. That's our brain just trying to remind us to deal with these things. The same way that you would remember a phone number you couldn't write down by repeating it to yourself over and over again, it's that same mental mechanism just trying to remind you to deal with X issue. So by writing it down on the page, you also alleviate the need for that reminder. And finally, the exercise itself, it gets you focused more on solutions rather than just ruminating on problems. And the best part about it, I only needed to do this for two weeks. I did it every day right before bed. I even broke a few of the rules because I actually did it literally right before bed while I was in bed, which most people will tell you, you can't. Spoiler alert, you can. And I only needed to do this for two weeks. And it was like, suddenly my brain just got the memo and started doing it automatically. And then when I started researching the book, fast forward and talking to sleep clinicians about this, one, they all said that this practice is wonderful for helping people kind of slow their anxieties and their thoughts down at night, but also that the same thing that they generally recommend two to three weeks, because after that point, you kind of rewire your brain and your brain starts to do this automatically. So you didn't even need that notebook then every night anymore. I just keep mine in my nightstand now for if I have a random bad night or a randomly stressful day where I'm particularly revved up, I still will do the exercise. But for the most part, I don't, I don't have to do it anymore. My brain does it automatically. Oh, that's so, that's such a great practice to do. And it's idiot proof. You know, unlike meditation, you don't have to worry about whether or not you're doing it wrong. There's no way to do it wrong. Right. You just, you just do it. What is your sleep and meditation practice like now, like today? So I don't really have a sleep practice per se. The, I have a few things that I do still. I try to expose myself to bright light in the morning. Cause again, I'm a natural night owl who has to wake up not that early anymore. I don't have crazy hours like I used to, but I have to wake up earlier than my body I think would naturally want to. 
So I expose myself, I have a bright light lamp that I use and I just have it on in my bathroom while I'm getting ready or I have it on at my desk at work. Doesn't involve any extra time out of my day, but that helps to send my body those wake signals and say, this is morning, it's time to wake up, which also then helps me get sleep signals at the right time at night. So it's not 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning and I'm still wide awake, which is how I naturally function. I try to keep a consistent wake up time, not exact, but within about 45 minutes, I try to keep my wake up time within about 45 minutes during the week and the weekends. And this is where kids can sometimes help because my kids won't, will only let me sleep in for so long anyway. And that again, helps my body sync to that schedule and get wake and sleep signals at the right time. And I keep a cool room. I have general body temperature issues, which contribute to my sleep problems. So I have a very generous husband who splurged on me during all of this and bought me this expensive temperature cooling mattress device, which if you can afford them, they're great, but they're not necessary. But a cool room and enough blankets to make sure you're still comfortably warm. So you're breathing in the cool air, which helps cools the core, but you're not freezing your butt off because that will trigger an opposite reaction. I think that's a really good general tip for people. And that's pretty much it. And I need a dark room. That is, I either need a dark room or I need a sleep mask. Yeah. I am very light sensitive and I know that about myself. But even like when I travel now, it used, I used to need all of these specific things when I was suffering. Because when you're suffering from insomnia, all your senses are heightened when you're trying yeah. to sleep. But little by little, as you get better, you don't need all those things anymore. So when, you know, it's not like when we're traveling, I don't now need to travel with my noise machine and my portable this and my special blanket and my weighted pillow and whatever, you know. Sure. All I bring with me is a sleep mask, which I used to not be able to sleep in. And now I sleep in it great. All I bring with me is a sleep mask and that's pretty much it. And if it's, we're in a particularly noisy or kind of overly quiet environment, I'll put a little sound thing on on my phone to help us all stay asleep, particularly if we're sharing a room with the kids. And that's it. The rest is just bonus. Everything that you said, first of all, the accoutrements within your travels, I can absolutely relate to that. For me before, it was the same thing. I just had such a hard time traveling and sleeping and, and trying to get you know as comfortable as I can and um you get so as a type a person you get so set in your ways like i need to have this and i can't oh i forgot my eye mask like how am i supposed to go to sleep i'm not gonna be and that's what keeps you awake exactly oh no how am i gonna sleep without my sleep mask those worries that keep you awake yeah oh i love that so much the name of the book is called the sleep fix practical proven and surprising solutions for insomnia snoring shift work and more there were so many incredible things that I learned. I'm, I am like a sleep super fan. I have also read so many studies and I'm, I'm a fan because I know that it is one of the best things that we can do for ourselves and for our health. And I just love learning. And, and I also feel like part of my practice is to let go of the attachment I have to it. You know, I I am absolutely that person that will say no to plans, will say no to people. If it's pat too late, I'm like not a night person anyway. I'm absolutely 1000%. I'm up 4.45, 5 a.m. Like I'm ready to go. I'm a morning. Mm -hmm. I get all my things done by eight o'clock at night. I'm already in bed. Like I'm in deep REM by 9 PM. You know, I'm that person. So if somebody's like, Oh, let's go have dinner at seven o'clock. It's not for me. You know, I, but, but in a way I found that by 
being so rigid in that it affects the energy of what I'm doing, you know, because it stops you from like living your life. Like I want to be able to stay up until 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, Ooh, that's like, I'm partying. I'm literally partying hard. (laughs) 10 PM. I'm like, Oh yeah, we're going wild tonight. Like I'm going to sleep in till seven tomorrow morning. Like that's going to be amazing. But I really, I really did love everything that you, you talked about and and going into the chronotypes as well. And it, it really is an incredible book. I was telling Diane before we started the podcast how, I mean, I've read, I really loved Dr. Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. That was one of my, one of my favorite books to read, but you basically put all of my favorite sleep studies in one place. And it's, this is literally, I was calling it the other day. I was telling one of my students about this and I was saying, it's like the sleep Bible. Like, Ah! you need to get it. It's like the sleep Bible. It's, it's very, there are very sort of like doable, sustainable practices. I say practice for everything. So I just like, it's a practices to do ways to improve your sleep in a non rigid way. So I I really appreciate the fact that it's very inviting to people and it doesn't, I'm glad I was able to diagnose myself as an orthosomniac. (laughs) Um, So that was an aha moment I had in this process. So I want to be respectful of your time, but before I, ask you the final question. Where can people go for more information? So I am on social media at Diane R. Macedo. So you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or the Diane Macedo on TikTok, which I just started. And information on the book at sleepfixbook.com. We will add all of those links in the show notes. If you're listening to this, wherever you're listening, wherever, wherever, whoever, wherever you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> I forget because we're doing video and I'm like, wait, are we doing the below or we're doing right, the info? Right. info button, wherever you're listening to this, we'll have all of those links that Diane mentioned. If you're watching the video, they'll be in the description below. So the final question, Diane, is about why we started this podcast. We wanted to create a place for people to go to, to get inspired to feel supported by like-minded people and to learn how to live a radically loved life. And the whole idea is that we are radically loved and supported by God, source, whatever higher power of your understanding that the universe works for you and not against you. So final question for you is how do you feel radically loved? I'm happy to say I feel radically loved in a lot of ways. I have a very large and tight-knit family who are stubborn and argue a lot and whatnot, but many ways we tease each other and that's how we show love. I have a wonderful husband who, again, you know, it's not a fairy tale. We argue and we fight and we tease each other and whatnot, but it's, it's a real love. It's genuine love. And of course my kids, I mean, nothing, nothing beats my three-year-old son who now is, you know, talks enough to be able to say things like, I love you, mama. And even, you know, I'm lucky to have a team at work, for example, who, who I love. And I get to, I just went back from maternity leave and I just kept saying how grateful I was to be going back to a job that I love and people that I love. Cause not everybody gets to do that. And, and so I think I, I'm radically loved in, in many ways. And I think the journey for me and and maybe you and many other perfectionists is usually learning to love ourselves because we always feel like 
we need to be doing more. We, we haven't done enough. We need to, you know, and there's always this long list of things that we feel like we have to do in order to feel worthy. And so I think my big challenge in feeling radically loved is to remind myself that I am enough, whether I got that whole to-do list done today or not. Mm. Diane, thank you so much for sharing. That's so beautiful. I always love hearing people's responses and everybody's faces always light up when I ask that question because it, you really go there. I mean, I really felt that. And I, I think it's such a beautiful response and, and what a gift, right? To be in this time, in this place, at this particular moment, at this particular time. So thank you so much for sharing your heart and your wisdom and for being here with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Everybody that's listening to this, if you enjoyed this podcast, as always, please share. Don't forget to tag us. You can tag me and Diane and just tell us what you love to tell us if you have any questions. And also don't forget to share with somebody who you think would gain some value from this episode. Thank you all so much. Don't forget that you are radically loved. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.